Today's episode represents why I love this show and what we are doing. It highlights the true spirit of being at work, leaders leading through the challenge. Our guest has been immersed in the fight against COVID-19 over the last year. Phil Duncanson is the chief microbiologist at AstraZeneca. What a fascinating time to be a scientist. And while he is a brilliant scientist, he also has such strong interpersonal skills and an endearing humility, as you'll hear in his stories. We'll talk about how these leadership skills have engaged the team and moved the organization forward at such an important time in history. Listen in as Phil describes his greatest lessons learned over the last year. My biggest takeaway, I am always learning. I'm a microbiologist, as you you can tell from my title. And I've always been passionate about micro uh, since a, a very early age. Actually, the the first leadership lesson was what turned me on to being in the field was when I was a, a child. I was listening to the adults around me seem to constantly only complain about what they did for a living, with the exception of, of one person who was a microbiologist at a clinical laboratory. And he had nothing but positive things to say about his day and his career and the rewarding elements of what he did and how he spent his time. And growing up, I thought, if I can do something that feels like a hobby most of the time and earn a living doing it and be as happy as this person seemed to be, that's got to be better than my my parents and their friends who seem to <laughs> dread Monday morning and lived for the weekend. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. So you followed that passion of micro and look at you now in such an important role at such an important time. I imagine, gosh, what a time to be a scientist. It's really interesting now with everybody is is just, you know, totally fascinated about virology and, and microbiology in general. We had a lot of people who were already what they would self-describe as germaphobes. And I'm sure that COVID-19 hasn't helped those people who were already worried about the microbes around us. And many more people have been interested in talking to me about how I feel about, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic and pandemics in general and what's the future going to look like. And I think the sad part about this is there was already a shelf full of library books that were predicting what we're living through right now. And at least in the microbiology world, this seemed inevitable, but here we are. We didn't seem to be very prepared for it. That being said, sitting on the other side of the vaccines that have been developed by multiple companies, I do think that the the pharma industry has responded as well as many governments around the world supplying uh, the resources and the funding in order to respond in just such an uh, incredible way. But as you can imagine, there's there are also a lot of people who want to talk about how that's not possible <laughs> or how was it possible. So it's definitely a great time to be in sciences and, and to be in, in microbiology. And there's certainly the general public and the general population, I think, have, a, have an increased appetite for information. But uh, there's also, I think, there's a sense of responsibility amongst scientists, statisticians, uh, microbiologists and the like to try to explain more about the science and try to general the general population understand a little bit more. I think I never expected to see 
the outcomes of clinical trial data being discussed by morning TV talk show hosts. It's probably not the right vehicle for those kinds of conversations <laughs> when they have to go to a commercial break and they have a ticker to fill in with the outcomes. But that's the world we're in right now. That's the world we're in right now. And you, in addition to your scientific mind, you also are such a great leader. I've been fortunate to see you in action, so I can say that with confidence. And you also show up with such great communication skills, ability to connect with people quickly. You empower, and I'm interested to explore with you today the leadership lessons that you've learned over the last year and this challenging time, but also how that connects to your scientific approach to life. Hopefully we can spend some time also talking about how that's been more challenging with COVID because I think when we're in the office, we have a lot of information that helps us be effective professionals in the workplace. I was thinking about even just going to a traditional meeting, which most people probably haven't done for 12 months, but some of the clues that are out there, who arrives early, who arrives late, who sits in the middle of the room, who sits in the corner, who makes eye contact, who doesn't, who's dominating the conversation and who's maybe got something to say but is not being brave enough to say it. All those things are lost or harder to come across in the virtual world. Some of those things that I was talking about were based in the US and it, it's not quite as hierarchical as say, say Japan where the leader always sits in the center of the table. But there are those cues that we, we miss out on when we're in a virtual world and we're trying to lead. But I think one, one thing that makes even more important is that we're being super observant and we're still trying to make sure that we're being effective and that we're being present in the meetings and the activities that we're involved in. Yeah, because I think it's easier to hide, isn't it, in a virtual meeting. I know a lot of people multitask and do other things while they're in those meetings. So what you're saying is like, use it as a learning opportunity. Pay attention to what you're noticing. Yeah, you have to. If you, you think about how when you're presenting or you're having a challenging conversation in person, you can read people's body language and you should be being observant about who seems to be on your side as an ally to, to the position that you're taking versus who can't wait to disagree with you. It's harder to tell that virtually. And sometimes you may feel completely alone when you're talking because you can't see people nodding along. Even when you have video on, I, whether you're using Teams or Zoom or some other platform, you don't get to see everybody and it doesn't show you who your most ardent supporter is at the top of your screen. It's a lot harder than doing it in person. In a virtual meeting setting, how have you led through that? It's just as important as a face-to-face -face meeting to do some pre-work, particularly if you're going to be having a challenging conversation. I always find it's important to to know where other people are going into the meeting. So if you want to do some private collection of, of data and have some pre-conversations uh, to get a sense of where others are at before you have a challenging conversation, you can still do that in the virtual world. The other, I think, it, especially when you're working across organizations, it, it, I think it's so important for people to be aware that others may be chatting simultaneously 
that you can't see. <laughs> and they may be having a conversation about what you're saying and agreeing or disagreeing or ganging up on you. So at least being aware of that and maybe using it as a skill of your own to to get some agreement or to settle some disputes that don't need to be handled in person. I think those are important things that, for people to bear in mind that may be going on. Or even acknowledge that. I, and I think sometimes bringing levity and just acknowledging there might be chats happening that I'm not aware of. I'd really love to get perspective and thought from everyone. Just acknowledging that could be happening. Yeah. Bring it to the class. Yeah. It's like uh, yeah, the, using the chat, accidentally sharing with everyone is the equivalent to the reply all in email. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I did not mean to share that with everyone. <laughs> yeah. Or even just trying to be aware of how how much those interruptions can be disturbing to people. When people begin to chat back and forth in those messages, some people are still getting them even though they're not in the meeting. So just being aware of that and how you're perceived is important. So that's good. So you're talking about recognizing, okay, it's a virtual world. The dynamics are different. How we show up is different. So we just have to be observant, pay attention to those things, acknowledge those things, be prepared going in with who are the players, where their heads at, all of those things will be helpful in leading through that. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say if you're not involved, not being passive and not doing something else, but using that as a learning opportunity, I think there's less opportunity nowadays uh, for us to be face to face, to go to conferences and to study other people. But the opportunity to observe is still there. So I always encourage people to rather than passively sit through something, challenge them to ask questions internally about what they're hearing. So is the person who's talking, do they sound confident? Do they sound in control? Is the message that they're relaying believable? And then ask yourself, Would I have, could I have delivered that better? I think you can ask yourself those questions in every meeting you're in. And I think it it makes you a more engaged participant. And it also allows you to ask perhaps better questions of the speaker or the, the person who's leading. Yeah, and gain some valuable influencing skills along the way. I love the question, is this, is it believable? Because if not, why not? What is he or she doing that is not connecting for me? What can I do to better connect with the people I'm communicating with? Such, such good questions. Absolutely. And especially if you, you have a team and your somebody in your team is operating by asking yourself questions about how effective the person is being, how believable, and if there's ways for them to improve by asking yourself those questions, you'll be able to provide better feedback to them if they're on your team. Yeah, this is good. And, and, you're, and what I love about your example is you're learning then as you go. One, one of the pushbacks to self-development is, is I don't have time. This isn't a separate activity. This is you paying attention and being actively engaged in the process so that you're learning along the way. You're always learning. There's always an opportunity to watch somebody. I believe that there, there are great speakers, there are great writers, and you can have the opportunity to learn from them in the next hour 
in addition to doing your job. So on the job learning and trying to improve yourself. But I think in order to do it, you have to become an observant person. And that takes a bit of practice because it's not, we're often very passive as humans. We sit down and we absorb and we think we're being observant, but we're really not a lot of the times. Yeah, I'm often thinking more about what am I going to say next? What how what am I doing, right? Versus really paying attention to the audience and the group and what's happening around me. Yeah, because we've done some of this work before together. I'm absolutely fascinated by people's personality types and how behavior can be quite predictable and I love whilst I'm listening to somebody trying to look out for some of those personality traits and see if I can predict how the person might behave, because it's also another great way to learn. Yeah, you are such a growth-oriented leader, that's for sure. So it's interesting, when you think about your greatest lessons learned over the last year, learning really comes up for you. Well, you've been in an environment that has just been constant, like you're constantly learning and growing and I mean, I suspect that's part of that's part of the culture, but that's also just so consistent with who you are as a leader. Yeah. So one of the things that tends to happen when you're senior in an organization is that other people expect you to have all the answers, which is it's a nice it's an it's a nice compliment that they pay you. But I think you need to be you need to be very careful with assuming that you do have all the answers. So I will I like to be very transparent with people if they ask me something and I don't know the answer that I, I try to be humble enough to say that I don't know but here are some of the here are some of the experiences that I can draw on or I know where to go to find that answer or even better is do you know the answer <laughs> or have, what's your experience I think probably the I think the single greatest lesson that I had in my career was one of those experiences where I was hired to be an expert in something and I was leading a training and I was being assessed for my training skills. And after the first two hour session where we talked about something that I was really expert in, the the trainer gave me a very poor review because he said, you answered all the questions and nobody's in any doubt that you are an expert in this field, but now nobody else is an expert because you didn't, beyond what you told them, you didn't get them to think for themselves. And if you carry on that way, you're always going to be the expert. And that means you're going to have to answer all the questions. And since that kind of experience, I've always tried to think of of how to not answer a question in a thought-provoking way so that it becomes more of a dialogue than a question answering session. And that's what earlier when I was saying like how your scientific mind plays out in your leadership because you're naturally always looking for evidence. So I'm not surprised to hear you say that because you have a lot of integrity, you wouldn't like make up an answer. Like you said, you have to have seen it in your experiences. But then I would also say that probably does naturally challenge you, doesn't it, to have an answer. Like you're seeking an answer, a solution. So leaving something open-ended, I suspect that that might be challenging. Yeah, it is. I think it's a place you have to get to when you 
I often think about when you join an organization, I've changed roles multiple times in my career. And when you join an organization, you have, you feel like you have to earn the reputation all over again by demonstrating your value. But after you do that a few times, you realize that's, that's not actually the case. You've not been hired because you, you have necessarily more knowledge than anybody else. But I typically tend to find it's because you're a good leader and you're a critical thinker. I think the more experience you get, the less you worry about having to prove that you're worthy of this role that you have. And, and the more you can just crack on with being effective. And for me, the best way to be effective is for me not to need to be there and the organization to move without me. But in a way where I feel like the decisions would be of equal quality, if that makes sense. It does. You're in a very senior role today. When we worked together, I think you were the like the manager of a microbiology team, right? Many years ago. This is probably what, 15 years ago or something. And but in both of those situations, like it's an influencing role. You're getting results through other people. So of course your knowledge and your credibility is really important, but it feels like your relationships and your ability to empower and influence is even more important. Absolutely. And I don't think the approach is is that much different, at least for your own teams. You send an immediate message to your team when you when they show up with a problem and the first thing you do is ask them what they think. That doesn't change uh, regardless of the size of your team. That immediately tells them your opinion matters and I'm going to hear yours before I give you mine. I think that's a skill that I, I will never stop using. Yeah. So someone brings something to you and you, what do you think about that? That is your initial reaction. That's so, so empowering. Always, because the first time people, you're more junior, the first time people may be surprised by that. They may look at you, they're confused because you're the supervisor or the manager and I've brought a problem and we pay you to solve the problems. But that's if you act like that, then you get all the questions and you don't prepare the employee to be the supervisor one day. Yeah, well, I, I just for so many reasons, I get fired up about that because it's then it's, it's tapping into the brain power around you. And so everyone feels like they're in a position to contribute and be a part of it. And it isn't that our role as leaders is to help people recognize like the greatness within them bring that forth. And that's how we move organizations forward. Not with the stuff in our heads, but the stuff that's in everyone's. And we empower people. And that's and that makes them feel that they're making a difference just as much as you are. And that's crucial. That's when you really have a team humming. Earlier, you were talking about the sense of responsibility that pharmaceutical companies hold during this time and always, right? Just given the impact of your work and your product and but I imagine that drove like a really high level of engagement. And so couple that with leaders being told, hey, you don't have to rate, wait, you're empowered to make the decision. Did you see and have you seen over the last year an increased engagement from the team overall? Yes, sky high through the roof from the employees to the middle managers to the leaders, I think. And maybe this is true for all fields, but 
when there are so many lessons here, when you tell somebody you are an essential worker, that's a very positive thing for somebody to hear, right? When you tell them that they are a hero for coming to work in the pandemic, that's very empowering and a positive thing to hear. Imagine if people felt like that all the time. <laughs> and how can we make them feel like that all the time? But for sure, when because when the pandemic hit, we, regardless of the vaccines that the industry had to provide, we also have life-saving medicines that we make all the time for people. And those had to continue to be made. So like many other businesses, we had to figure out a way to get people on site, even though we were locked down. And how could we reduce capacity? How could we increase cleaning? At the time when the pandemic hit, we didn't really know whether the virus would be coming in on, on shipments. So how, how could we quarantine those shipments? And, and how could we do all this and tell our employees that we were doing it and make them let them know that we were looking out for them, but that we also appreciated their trust in us and their willingness to come in? And there were other things that that uh, we did to, to let them know that we recognized them. There was lots of free food and there were lots of thank yous and there were plenty of signs put up letting people know that they were truly valued. But I think equally appreciated and why engagement was so high was we stepped up communication like never before and being transparent with as much as we could in terms of HIPAA compliance, but being transparent about where we seeing cases, where we responding, where we quarantining people, how were we managing deliveries and yeah, and just trying to be as open as we could be that we were going to keep them safe as best we could based on science. Yeah, which is the foundation of your organization. So that felt authentic, no doubt to them. Oh, yeah. And anytime we get to talk about science, I'm happy. <laughs> I, I know you are. It goes back to that passion. <laughs> that initial passion. This is so good. I really, I feel like we've bookended this because you just talked about the sky high engagement over the last year at such a challenging time. But it's because people saw the real meaning in the work they were doing every single day. They were part of it. There was clear communication. They were empowered. They were trusted. And you said they're learning all, all along. You're always learning, you said. So those were the things that drove that high level of engagement that you've seen. Yeah. Is there anything you, you, that you would have said to yourself at the beginning of all of this last year? Any piece of advice to stay in it, to stay engaged? No, I, I think the probably the, the only thing that comes to mind is that I felt like I might be I knew I was going to be working really hard, but I think what surprised me is how many people in other fields have have also started feeling like their job doesn't have an end point. That I think that is a surprising outcome for me of this whole thing. And I, when I talk to friends who work in completely different fields, I'm often surprised how they feel like their hours have gone up. They're not making a vaccine. <laughs> but but so there's something about there's something about the rapid transition that we had to to remote working that we got wrong as people and as businesses and I think maybe people felt like they had to maybe it was like starting a new job and they had to earn the trust to be at home all over again but I think that's one of the things that's that has surprised me about the pandemic is the the high level of burnout of people that is self that is partially self-inflicted if not totally and then all the things we're seeing around anxiety rates and suicides and alcoholism and divorce rates and 
all the outcomes that we're seeing of that. It's interesting you, you saying people outside of your industry working more. And I've thought a lot about that because I see that as well. And I, I'm certainly not contributing in the way you are, but I think it's what I've come to is it's all in how you think about your work, isn't it? I, as a leadership coach, I think there's never been a more important time to do what I do because leaders are struggling as businesses shift and change and adapt. And we adapt to a virtual world leadership, as we talked about earlier, leadership looks different. So it's all in how you think about the work that you do and the meaning that you bring to it. I think if that's healthy, then that's great. It totally is that. If you're if you're getting meaning out of it and you're just pouring yourself into it out of the love of it, then that's that's one thing. It, it's just it's challenging for me to hear stories of just how much people are struggling to do a job that they maybe weren't that jazzed about that the pandemic has brought upon them. So good point. If it's healthy, that's good. So and it goes back to paying attention to how I'm feeling how I'm communicating what I'm feeling and what I need, being courageous enough to say, hey, here's what I need, or this isn't working for me. All of those things until you get to the point where you're so burned out that you're becoming really unhealthy. Yeah, you've got to notice those things about yourself. Yeah, and especially if you're, if you're displaying that side of yourself that you don't think is your best self. If you're, if you're not giving it your all, in the right way, then it, it's so important to be observant of that. I would always tell my team that if you see me upset at work, it's because I felt like you needed to see me upset at work because that's not the way I want to show up. It's no way I'm ever going to show up by accident. I'm going to be in control of that. <laughs> then I think if you find yourself out of control in whatever shape that looks like for you, that's the time to do some reflecting and, and make sure that you, you're taking good care of yourself so that you can show the way you want to, whatever that looks like. That's intentionality, isn't it? That I'm showing up in a way that reflects what the people and I need in this situation. I wanted to tell you a, a story about that, a work story that has to do with the way people show up at work that I thought was a really fascinating lesson from one of my last jobs. And that was a new leader to the organization was talking to me about a challenging employee and just stating how the person just had a bad attitude and was nobody like working with the person and how many more chances should the person have. And this person was a great leader. So they said, I'm going to, I'm going to sit down with him. I'm just, we'll just have it out. And so the manager in this case, first of all, just laid out basically all those things that I've just said. You're difficult to work with. You have a bad attitude. Other people don't want to work with you. And the, the learning there was that the employee was shocked because that's not their own perception of themselves. And even though they were experienced and, and old enough to have been told that before, nobody had ever told the person that before. So then it became a very different feedback coaching conversation. And actually, the person almost changed overnight. And other team members couldn't believe the change in this person's outlook just because they had a really, they had a totally inaccurate perception of what everybody else could see so plainly. I thought it was a, was a really great example of, of something that I see all the time at work and especially with more junior 
um, members of the team is that people right now are just they're just desperate for feedback and usually not positive feedback in my experience most people want to know how they're not doing so well and what they need to do to get better and i i just think that right now and andrew this is your industry to try to help us get better in this but but i think we're just we're in many ways we're as leaders we're failing our teams and because we're not providing the feedback that they want yeah for fear of how they'll react how they'll respond it won't go well they won't hear it all of those things they don't want it which is not true but that's what people think or they don't know what feedback to to give so how can i give anything you have a great approach for giving feedback I have a couple of I have a couple of things that I like to do and that is first of all it starts with being observant of yourself and your own inadequacies and you, the the things you need to work on and then if you use that observational mind in others things that they can work on and can help them to get better and if I if I want to give feedback to somebody that doesn't work for me I know that I have to do that in a tactful way. So one of the things I like to do before I, is I, I like to ask them if they're open to receiving feedback. And usually the response I will get is absolutely yes. And the reason I like to open with that is because once they've given you that yes, they almost can't react negatively to whatever it is that you say. So for me as somebody that's I'm naturally a people pleaser person, I don't want really want to hurt anybody's feelings unnecessarily. So if I think somebody can get better just getting that approval, that permission from the person that they're willing to hear me whatever I have to say, I've found to be very useful. Yeah, cuz who's going to say no to that in that scenario? You're asking for permission. And so likely the response will be yes, which naturally disarms it's very disarming, yes. You have given us so many incredible insights today, leadership lessons in the midst of challenges and beyond. So thank you so much for being here, Phil. Absolutely. It was, a, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. And hopefully we can do this again one day when this is all over. Yes. Maybe face-to-face without Let's a mask. Let's do it. Let's <laughs> do it. If our listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Well, these days you can usually find me huddled away in the corner of my home on a Teams <laughs> meeting. <laughs> With lots of hand sanitizer? Yeah, plenty of hand sanitizer. You can find me on LinkedIn is really the only social media that I'm on. And I'm Phil Duncanson on there. Excellent. Thank you. And thank you for the work that you're doing and for leading the charge. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.